Welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that inspire you to get your story told. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com, and while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. Now sit back, get ready to take some notes, and let's get started. This episode of Leap Into Your Story podcast is brought to you by Leap Into Your Story course. Visit leapintoyourstory.com where you have a guide to get your story told. I was working in the funeral home that I became interested in a facility called Area 51 in Nevada in 1988. At that time, very few people had ever heard of Area 51, but in 1989, I was working at this funeral home at night, and there was nobody except me, except about 26 uh, sleeping people. In the morgue. So uh, anyway, I was listening to this night uh, talk show that came from Las Vegas. I could hear it. I could catch it in Los Angeles. And I was listening to this talk program. And there was this so-called scientist who claimed that he had been working on a reverse engineering program of a strange object that was recovered by the United States government in 1947. And, uh, you know, I became interested in this facility, Area 51, uh, at the time when most people never heard of it. And so uh, I brought a Japanese TV crew. Somehow I I managed to contact them. And uh, I brought this Japanese TV crew and went to Las Vegas to interview the scientist that was in 1990. Uh, And... uh, he told us about this base called Area 51, and uh, it was on a Wednesday evening when we went to his house in Las Vegas, and uh, he told us where to go. He himself didn't want to go to this location, uh, but he told us where to go, and so the crew of about 10 of the Nippon Television Network went to this location about two hours a drive north of uh, Las Vegas. And uh, we arrived at this lonely stretch of highway called Highway 375. And we set up our camera according to this scientist uh, instruction. And lo and behold, just as he said uh, in our interview in Las Vegas, just after sundown, we be- began to see some strange reddish light uh, popping out of the mountain range that covered Area 51. And we were quite impressed. You know, uh, we saw this uh, bright reddish object about three times during the uh, uh, half an hour segment while we set up the professional cameras over there. And uh, I was impressed. And that was the beginning of my long 
uh, journey into the research of Area 51. And of course, uh, later on, as I started taking uh, reporters and journalists to this location, uh, which was the, uh, the perimeter of the boundary line of Area 51 on Groom Lake Road, uh, I did this for several years, and uh, later on, later on, I became convinced that uh, perhaps this kind of thing that are being tested may not be alien at all, but uh, uh, our own U.S. government's projects. Uh, but anyway, uh, at the same time, I became interested in the rumors in New Mexico that there was a secret underground facility located inside a Native American uh, reservation called the Hikaria Apache Reservation, which was located in their town called Dulce, and that was in 1990 also. And uh, I took the same TV crew and began to interview the local folks there, uh, but uh, suddenly we were detained by a local uh, uh, police uh, chief and we were detained for one hour and he was asking us what we were doing there. And we were just telling him that we heard this rumor that there was a base here and we wanted to ask people about it. And we were interviewing the people on the street of Dulce and, uh, but anyway, uh, he let us go after an hour of detention and uh, we, we asked him, is it true that there's a base here? To which he mysteriously answered, I don't want to talk about it. And so that was an interesting experience. And so that uh, became my passion later on, uh, which was to get to the bottom of this rumor that there was an underground base or underground laboratory conducted by the U.S. government over there in Dulce. And, you know, I've been to Dulce many, many times thereafter. And uh, I go there even now because uh, it's only about three hours drive from Rio Rancho. And I, over the years, I befriended a lot of Native American people over there in Dulce and you know, even though there is absolutely no tangible, physical, and even documentary evidence whatsoever that there is a physical underground base there, uh, there are still many sighting reports there, even today, of local people seeing some strange lights uh, at night and once in a while seeing... Uh, flight of uh, some military helicopters over the area, over Dulce. And so I still don't have any evidence, but well, even though they may not be a physical base there, I believe that some kind of uh, what I describe as paraphysical phenomenon can exist over there. You know, and because people still report strange lights and uh, local people there uh, report uh, seeing uh, uh, visions or actual, uh, you know, things like uh, Bigfoot and uh, 
hearing strange sounds and so on, and things like that even go on even to this day. So I think there's something there. There may not be an underground base there, but, you know, that's a Native American land uh, which is filled with uh, distinctive uh, cultural and religious beliefs. So uh, I think there's something to that because uh, I came to the conclusion that in this world, not everything can be explained prosaically or by scientific uh, methods. Uh, empirical science uh, right now cannot explain everything about this world. There's still something strange and, and sometimes wonderful about this world that we cannot see with our physical uh, eyes. And so that's my basic uh, position. Air Force has always been interested in the out of the ordinary, and uh, they are still interested in getting to the bottom of the UFO phenomenon itself. And this is the reason why uh, recently, in the past uh, two or three years, there seem to have been specific programs uh, you know, that the United States Air Force encouraged with the provision of some money to organizations like uh, the uh, Robert Bigelow Foundation in Las Vegas to check on the feasibility of the of UFO research. You know, so uh, there has been some weird uh, video footages of uh, strange craft being seen, which was taken by the United States Air Force. And so this is still on the table. In other words, uh, they still haven't come to any conclusion, but the United States Air Force is definitely interested in uh, UFOs, but they don't call it UFOs. They call it unidentified aerial phenomena. And they considered, they considered this as phenomenon rather than objects. So, uh, you know, this may tie in to this uh, paraphysicality of this phenomenon, whether it's the craft itself or the entities itself, they seem like they, they appear physically, seemingly into this dimension from another dimension that coexists with us, so uh, it, it's to me it it could be some kind of a unexplainable sudden materialization uh, into this dimension, but the problem is that they seem not to be able to survive in our physical dimension for too long, except for a few minutes at a time, and that's basically uh, Victoria is my conclusion to this phenomenon is that we're dealing with some phenomenon that it's, we cannot really grasp with our hands and we cannot grasp with our scientific knowledge because it seems that uh, this kind of phenomenon uh, seem to pre-select its observers in advance. Uh, that's, this is the reason why not everybody 
seem to be able to see this kind of phenomenon. And so my conclusion that is that it could be pre-selective in who uh, sees this uh, uh, phenomenon or who experiences this kind of phenomenon. It, it's a pre-selection uh, to me, and uh, we still don't, well, I still don't understand who is selected to uh, witness this kind of uh, things, like sightings, you know? My two encounters with reptilian aliens. One not so good, one good. I'll start out with the not so good one. At least I've been advised that that one could have been not so good. I didn't exactly have the opportunity to go face to face because whatever unseen person who was next to me when I had this encounter advised me that it was not in my best interest to see somebody who, who in one minute was a person and in the next minute had a big old snout crocodile head. But this was an average everyday uh, errand run to the post office. And I had opted for the, the automated machine because the line was fairly long. And while I was waiting for my receipt, I happened to glance at the line in the post office. And there was this one particular man that had been, at least from the back, an average looking brown hair, uh, a yellow shirt, yellow pants. He looked like he was had just come off the golf course. It was a, like a golfing outfit. And the post office was fairly close to a nearby golf course. And when then I had glanced at him for a few seconds, he looked normal. And the next second moment I looked at it, he had a crocodile head on a human body. I knew something had opened up some veil, whether it's some frequency, I don't know. But I was trying not to blink until the lady bugged me behind me because naturally she was waiting to use the machine herself. I blinked and then he went back to just being a normal guy, at least again from the back. But he was getting closer to the front of the line. And I was curious who this person in my community was. I had to see. As I approached the lobby part of where the counters are for the post office, I heard a voice saying, it, it, no, he do not let him know that you know what you saw. I tried to ignore it, but as I approached closer and I almost at the very top of that line, I almost got a chance to see what he looked like. I felt this huge anxiety of fear come over and it gripped me. And I realized, yeah, it's probably not a good idea. 
although I so desperately wanted to see who this person is, because obviously there's people amongst us that may not be who they project are. So that was my first encounter with something potentially alien. The other one was through dreamtime experience that bled into waking time. It's the first time I've ever experienced anything like that with any of my dreamtime encounters. So in this dreamtime encounter, it's like I was underneath one of the pyramids in one of the tunnels, and there was a battle again with these crocodile headed men against turtle headed men. And the turtle headed reptilian guy seemed to protect me and what appeared to be some tourists who were also trapped under the pyramid. And when the turtle guy shot something out of this extremely large black gun, it came out, it looked like clear blob and it made contact with the alien headed guy who was actually climbing the wall like a lizard, but he was a man body with a reptilian um, crocodile head. This jail stuff made contact with him and it vaporized him. There was nothing left of him. I woke up from that dream and apparently in this battle, I had been hit with some of that plasma stuff. And that's what it was explained as plasma. And when I woke up from that dream experience, I had the most incredible headache to a point that I couldn't even move. It hurt to move. I nothing. It was like, a migraine of a hundred. Um, and the fact that any little thing outside of breathing, even that's hurt, um, just created an extraordinary amount of pain. I thought for sure I was a goner because I couldn't even roll over on the bed to get to a cell phone or a landline or anything. Uh, even I had to just stay put. And while I had my eyes closed, I felt a hand stroking my head. I thought for sure, maybe my husband picked up my a telepathic SOS. And to my amazement, surprise, and fear, it was my turtle head guy from my dream. And he had explained that I was, I had gotten some of the plasma blast and that even though it was extraordinary painful and I thought I was going to die. He says, if you go to sleep, he goes, uh, when you, when you wake up, you'll be fine. And of course he didn't talk to me. He was speaking to me telepathically because I couldn't even anything, any little movement 
was just this extraordinary pain that I never felt before. And he assured me that I would be fine and I was going to be recuperating and, and not to be afraid of him. He was hit there to help. And he was brushing my head to try to get me to go back, to calm down, to go back to sleep. And as I was almost there, I did ask him what his name was because I had to find out. And he gave it to me. His name was Har and he explained he was from Marduk. First time I ever heard of it, but apparently there is some information out there about a planet called Marduk. And sure enough, I went to sleep. I woke up. I was pain-free and I felt just fine. Thank you for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like to us via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time on the Leap Into Your Story podcast.